Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl and it is episode 12 of Cage Rage and Nicolas Cage podcast. How are you this week? How are you doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're good. It is lovely to be here with you in this space of yours. Insert room name here. You have a lovely home outdoors, trainers. I hope you're well. I'm good. Uh, It's been an alright week. I ordered chicken from Deliveroo and it was really nice. Um just been eating some digestive biscuits. Uh still got a bit of crunch to them. The uh the humble digestive biscuit. Don't don't turn your back on it. It's it's coming back in a big way, I'm telling you. Forget about your janjanoots and your um what's another biscuit? A custard creme. Don't worry about it. But here's the thing, right? Episode twelve uh, is a, a big boy episode as we jump in. To the final 1989 film in the career of Nicolas Cage, Time to Kill. Ooh. A little catchphrase noise for you there. Uh, so, Time to Kill, an Italian drama film starring Nicolas Cage. Of course, it was a film set in 1936 in Ethiopia when the country was under Italian invasion. Can you believe that, that the Italians... Up to nonsense like this. Hey, let's go to another country and do a bad things. That's what was happening. Now, interestingly as well about this film, um, not a great deal of information on it in the background. Uh, and actually, from what I did find, this is actually quite a rare cage film to find as well, as it was never commercially released in America or globally. It was his first, and to my knowledge, I think, only foreign film that he did. Um, so quite weirdly, it was he was the only Ameri- well Italian-American actor in a film of Italians. Um, so they filmed it in English and then dubbed it back into Italian to release it into Italy and never release it anywhere else. Selfish, the Italians. That's what's going on there. Selfish. But you can tell, even as early into his career as 1989, he was dipping his toes into all sorts of hijinkeries, Mr. Cage. And when his feet weren't wet, they were covered in a hot yoghurt. So, like I say, um, Italy only for a long time. I found this, thankfully, on YouTube, which you can also find this film in its entirety as well. And it's really good, because for a long time, only Italian people had known the joy this film could provide, and Cage was giving back to the Italian people, not only because he's the greatest actor of our generation, but because he's such a humble and down-to-earth man of the people as well. Unlike Ian. You know what I mean? Compare and contrast, he just can't put Nicolas Cage and Ian the Cuck in the same category. Do you understand? Uh, Now, something I want to quickly touch on as well before we get more into the meat of the recap. Um, it's Vampire's Kiss. It turned out I forgot to give it a rating. Thank you to uh, top fan Frederick Horatio Holmes for pointing that out. But Vampire's Kiss, um, as I should have given it two weeks ago, um, a 10 out of 10, a golden cage, one of the highest cage honors we can bestow. 
in this podcast. Um, and also something I didn't do last week because it was only a short episode. All the little social medias as well that I forgot to point out. So, as ever, you can find the episodes on YouTube as and when they are slowly uploaded. I'll get round to it. It is also on the old Twitter, McGee. You can find it at cage underscore podcast and on Instagram at cage rage pod. Also on Kofi as well, Kofi.com forward slash Gerald Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want to uh, chip in, I guess, um, feel free to. You don't have to, but it would be nice. If at the very least you've enjoyed this and you found it on Spotify, if you can uh, follow it, share it to people that you think might like it. I don't know how you break stuff on Spotify, but if you can, that would be lovely as well. So thank you very much for all of that. Moving back to Time to Kill, this is also the second Cage film in his career so far to be adapted from a novel. Uh, This novel, in fact, was the Italian book Shortcut, published in 1974 written by Ennio Flaenio, Flaen- Fliano, Ennio Flaiano. Um, yeah, I definitely got that name right. Now, aside from Nick Cage, the other name that you will no doubt recognise, the late great film composer Ennio Morricone, who famously composed the iconic score for The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. Or as I say, The Cage, The Bad. And the ugly. <laughs> a little bit of a, a little bit of cage rage humour there for you. Uh, as you can tell, though, this film incredibly Italian, incredibly Italian. And Italian is a word I'll be using descriptively quite often throughout the rest of this review. And as I touched upon, all Italian actors aside from Nicolas Cage, who is Italian American, he is therefore the whitest guy in this film. But it just goes to show you that anyone can succeed in the realm of Italian cinema. And on that basis, I also just want to give out a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Spaghetti. Spaghetti. What if boring was spicy? Now the plot of this film, this is another one of those films where you can summarise the plot pretty quick. Um, But the film wants to go on about it for like an hour and a half. So he plays Lieutenant Enrico Silvestri and Lieutenant Enrico Silvestri has a toothache. Okay? So he has a toothache and he journeys to a dentist, I'm not even bullshitting, which is largely, in the first half at least, the drive of Cage's character um, just to go and get his, his bad tooth out. He gets in a van with this driver. Um, En route, the van crashes um, for no massive reason. I think the driver just wasn't looking at the road. So he crashes and Enrico Silvestri, an impatient man, just decides to walk an indefinite amount of terrain across the Ethiopian desert instead. Because, of course, he does. Um, Even though uh, other cargo vans... uh, drive past like a minute later he just walks why would you wait when you've got a toothache um my jaw hurts a lot of the time i think i've been sleeping funny or just need another pillow so you know if that was me in the ethiopian desert in the italian army in 1936 would i have done the same thing maybe i don't know if my name was darilio Edgiano, 
Um, who knows where life could have taken me. But you'll be glad to know, at nine minutes in, Cage, he gets the tooth pulled, and we get a nice little, a just scream to accompany. Ah! Ah! Oh, Jesus. Fucking solid scream, that. Solid scream. Good top work, Nicolas Cage. What a range. What a fucking range. The film seems to flash back, uh, flash back and forth between Enrico getting his pain meds and getting back to camp, showing us what happened along the way. Now, after he scores the pain medication from the doctor, who for reasons unknown is not at the camp, um, just just buggers off and does what he wants. I guess that's how Italian doctors operate. Um, a worker at the construction site where Cage has to journey to tells Enrico to take a shortcut through the jungle. Now, um, the worker is filmed just in a way that makes you immediately think he's very suspicious, like he's trying to send Enrico to his death, even though that's not the case. He just comes across like, well, you definitely can't trust this guy uh, kind of way, but also in the way that he's just too handsome to ever stop construction to offer someone directions. Um, it gave me those Italian heebie-jeebies, some real deep pan Italian heebie-jeebies. And let's not forget that Enrico is a lieutenant in the army, right? And he 100% could have gotten someone to drive him back. But he didn't do it. Because that's classic Cage. Classic, considerate Nick Cage. So he's walking through uh, the, the forest, uh, the jungle, a uh, technical term for terrain, but I'm not sure. But he... I'm right, and this is what I... Even taking the Cageisms and what we know about Nick Cage aside, this is one of those things that I have to describe as completely bizarre scenes that didn't need to happen He's walking past and he sees a small lizard. He stops, he has a little look at it. The lizard, just on a rock, minding its own business, not harming anyone, not a threat to anyone, uh, completely unterrifying and un not intimidating. He's just going to leave people alone. Enrico stops, asks the lizard if it wants a smoke, and then he picks it up and puts half of his lit cigarette in his mouth, um, and then the the lizard, with a cigarette in its little face, just turns around and crawls away, now with a nicotine addiction. Is is he cruel or just strange? Ain't that just the, the big question of our times? Still thinking about it now. The imagery of that smoking lizard. Very, very funny. There are a few... I mean, bigger than this, there are a few twists. One is coming up very shortly that this film takes. Um, and you don't always know where it's going. It could be one of those quite cut, clear-cut films. This is not that film, right? So after that, in terms of twists, he continues walking, he trips and cuts his hand. Uh, that will be important later, before he finds a waterfall where um, this Ethiopian woman, uh, she's just minding her own business, bathing in the water, so he stops, asks her for directions, he needs to get to a bigger lake, and he throws her a bar of soap, 
because um, I don't know why he just does. After that, the girl gets out of the uh, little ravine um, where she's been bathing herself, goes to clothe herself, but Enrico follows her. He disrobes her, and in a twist entirely out of nowhere, he broad-dogs her without consent. The worst type of raw dog. Bad cage. Bad. Naughty. Um, Now, even more disconcerting, right? Not only have we just seen that, unfortunately, you don't see the act, um, but it is, oh, strongly implied. Even more disconcerting than that heinous act, the woman, whose name we learn is Mariam, uh, seemingly falls in love with him? Right? Um, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. 25 minutes into this flick, and I thought we'd peaked at Smoking Reptile. I thought, you know what? We're not... Nothing else can follow that. Um, And I'm going to keep it real with you all. Vampire's Kiss made more sense than this. Fucking Vampire's Kiss made more sense than this. And then it's implied that Mariam gives Enrico a quick blowy as a mountain goat watches on. Right? So, you tell... you. Why don't you tell me for once, right? Why don't you tell me? Okay? Hit me up in the socials, because I... I don't know what this was. This was 25 minutes into the film. Okay? Fucking baffling. Still over an hour of this film left to go. Now, do you think we get a break just after this? Do you think we'll get some cooling off time? Not at all, because then Nick Cage cracks open and sucks the yolk out of a fucking raw egg. Slurps it right up, like it's a fucking slush puppy. Then he asks Marion where the lake is again, again to no avail. So he draws an alligator and even does an impression. Hargez! Hargez! Good. Where is Hargez? Where is it? That's right, people. Find yourself a man that can do it all. But between this, the egg yolk, the lizards, uh, the, the rape... And then falling in love with the person that raped you. Have you ever watched a film, right, and wondered if you actually had a tuba and it wasn't real? Because when Enrico starts to believe that he may also be in love with a girl he literally just assaulted, and, and bear in mind, right, keep in mind, he's got a bloody wife back in Italy. He's got a bloody wife. When this is all happening... I'm starting to think that I may have a tuba. Do you... Is it? Is it just me? Am I wrong? Am I overreacting? Because I feel from what I've described that this is a... If anything, a very understated reaction and I should be losing my shit even more. And then, as I'm processing all of this, they have a little sleep in the cave in the middle of the night. They're discovered by a fucking hyena. So Enrico fires three shots at this hyena, uh, misses all three, but the third bullet hits the cave wall, ricochets off, and hits Miriam in the stomach. 30 minutes in, 
and Mariam is dead and buried under rocks courtesy of the Nick Cage funeral parlour, and then he hides any evidence that they've been there. Why? I'm not sure. I suppose it's in case hyena detectives come looking along. Again, answers on a postcard, you tell me. So moving onwards, Enrico confesses this to his captain, but his captain, in all honesty, couldn't give a shit. Really doesn't care. He just says, like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. Nothing's going to happen. Uh, you might get a little slap on the wrist. Um, clearly, Italy had no HR department in 1936. Now, if you sat listening to this, or you've been in the middle of a jog and you've had to stop because you're wondering what could possibly happen next, what other bombshells this film has left for you, let me fucking tell you. Because there's another one coming. You think you've seen it all so far? You haven't seen anything. You haven't seen what I've seen, right? And I've seen Ian's feet. Okay. I mean, just the other day, stupid idiot, he was going on about his tiny little front garden and that he was growing some strawberries or some shit. And then he was saying, oh, the neighbourhood cats. Oh, they've been digging up my strawberries, sniffing up my strawberries. And I thought... Bullshit, Ian. You find me one bit of evidence, just one, that has ever suggested that a cat, a cat, is interested in strawberries. You moron. So after Enrico is finally granted his leave to go and be back with his Italian wife, the Italian army captain just casually explains during a night out of drinks that a lot of local women have leprosy. There it is. Yep. After these filmmaking jolts and bolts so far, now Cage may have gotten himself a little bit of the lip-lip. Due to his hand wound and his sexual history with Mariam, Enrico believes that he must have contracted leprosy. A little bit judgmental. Uh, a little bit quick off the mark, if you ask me. Always good to see a doctor if you're not too sure. But, um, you know, if a drunk Italian army captain tells you you've got leprosy, why wouldn't you believe him, I suppose? So he wanders off. He does a lot of wandering in this film. He goes to see another doctor just to try and get some information on the down low about the let-let. And rather than just tell him, I've got this hand wound, uh, a little concerned, would you mind having a look? He just pretends that he's writing a book about someone who happens to be in the army with leprosy. I imagine the character is called Sick Nage. Now Enrico denies the doctor's wish to look at his injured hand and then for absolutely no reason at all he fires his gun at the doctor barely missing his head and the doctor barely reacts um, a running theme of Enrico being absolutely shocking when it comes to firing guns and doctors just being insane, not being where they should be, not caring at all about attempts on their life. So I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if Italian doctors in the army just have a particular type of training. I wonder if Ian was in the same situation, would he react nonplussed? Would he dive onto his tiny garden with the little sprinkler going over his few little square metre patches of grass? 
You're thinking, oh no, my strawberries. And eat the soil because he's a fucking pig. Enrico misses his ship to return to Italy. Um, He tries to conspire to get stowed away, but is told it will cost 30,000 lira. Um, No haggle room. He's told very swiftly there's no room to haggle there. So he later meets the captain out in the town. who treats him to a night out. And then they're driving to the desert. You know how it is, lads, lads, lads. Sometimes one thing just leads to another. And when you wake up, you're in the desert. We've all been there. Now as the captain goes off for a little tiddly whisk, a little piss, all draining the main vein, Enrico steals his lira lira bills, y'all. Before we're just deciding to walk again through the desert. Why does he keep doing this? I don't know. Because he's a big walking guy. Because a lot of decisions in this film make no fucking sense. But... Uh, one of the highlights of this film, other than the smoking lizard, is that they have a downright Italian confrontation like. Fuck you! And fuck off! You're a fucking crook. I'm gonna report you! No, you won't! won't report me, because I charge you with stealing for the fucking army! Did somebody say Italiano? Howdy, 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 howdy. Um, now that conversation is because uh, Enrico stole his money, like I said. He stole his bullets as well. All kicked off. Got a little bit heated. Some might say um, a slight overreaction, but who am I to decide? Who am I to say anything? So... Enrico, he fucks off down the desert, left to his own devices. He He's led to another village after chasing a donkey. Yeah, that's a thing that happens as well. Um, now, at this point, not so much a, com- um, a commentary on the film, more just the version of the film that I watched on YouTube. The version I watched briefly switched to the Italian dub for like 15 seconds. Um, and I'm going to play the clip for you. Um, context, not important. But just imagine Nick Cage in a sort of sand brown army uniform screaming at a poor Ethiopian man in Italian. And you'll understand why I found this quite funny. I'm talking to you. Say something. Say something. Are you deaf? Brilliant, right? Brilliant. The the seamless transition between cage to Italian to cage again. Um, that's the kind of stuff you just can't write that. And I'd love to say. It was an intentional move from the director, um, but I am absolutely not going to give him that credit and just put it down to a technical issue, which was one of the few highlights of this film. So Enrico decides to live out his final days at the village with none other than Mariam's father, no less. And they have some time living together, they sort of look after each other in a weird way, um, but then... Again, when you think 
with this film that there are no more bombshells left. You think the armory's out. There's no more artillery. What more firepower could you possibly have? Time to Kill from 1989. Well, as Enrico begins to accept his fate, Daddy Mariam drops the final bombshell of the movie. I'm sick to the soul! Because Mariam had... Don't you... Don't you understand? I'm sick! Mariam was not sick. Now, far be it from me to tell any actor how to do their job, but one person in that scene, and I'm not naming names, I'm not pointing fingers, it's just an observation... Just an observation, just a little bit of constructive feedback. One of the actors in that scene really didn't oversell the part enough for me. Okay? But the more important revelation, Mariam never had leprosy. Oh, jeez. Like, are you kidding me? Time to kill? You want to spend all that time telling us our boy is going to get it, the big L? And he doesn't even have it? So after that absolute revelation, Enrico takes Papa Mariam to Mariam's grave, who in turn applies a little bit of oint oint, a little bit of those sweet ointments to his injured hand. And we come towards the end of the film, and at the end we get footage of the Italian forces shipping out of Ethiopia, along with Enrico, who returns to his Italian life and Italian wife, no doubt, for a bibbidi babbidi rao dog like nothing ever happened. A voiceover from one of Enrico's army buds explains that the Italians went back to Italy to do Italian things in 1936, but it didn't end out that way, dot dot dot, and suddenly to be continued in World War II. I realise now as well that I can actually just summarise the entire film for you right now if you want. So, <laughs> Cage gets into a car wreck. He walks to a waterfall, finds a naked Ethiopian girl in the water, rapes her, tries to give her some sardines. He drinks a raw egg. He finds an alligator, has sex maybe a few more times, shoots at a hyena, kills the girl. He gets drunk, discovers he may have transmitted leprosy from the girl, thinks that the Army is out to get him, hence why he wants to leave in the first place. Finds out he doesn't get it, and then leaves to go back to his wife like nothing ever happened. Outstanding! Um, so in summary, um, this film is one, like I said, it's quite hard to come by, but you can find it, as I did, and uploaded in its entirety on YouTube. To be honest, this is... One Nick Cage film that I wouldn't really recommend going out of your way to watch. It's pretty disjointed. It wraps up a little too quickly after all of the builds that it sets up for like an hour 30 of its runtime. Um, I kind of suspect much of the translation from the story, um, you know, from book to film, was a little bit lost in the filmmaking process. But, but, importantly, but, that's no knock on Cage who delivers a fine performance in an otherwise very Italian film. But I think we can all agree on the messages of the film, which are don't take shortcuts and never join the Italian army. And on that note, 
on that bombshell, no less. We come to the end of episode 12 of Cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. As ever, if you enjoyed it, please consider following and listening to the episode, sharing them on Spotify, the Instagram, at Cage Rage Pod, Twitter, Cage underscore podcast, and there's some YouTube stuff out and about there as well. And the Kofi page, kofi.com forward slash journalage, if you feel in any way inclined to support the podcast and uh, what we do here. Um, rhetorically speaking, I don't know what it is that we do here, but it's something, if it brings any light into your life, do consider a little, a, a little, a chip a little bit to your boy, to your boy. Um, but yeah, in, other, other than that, um, next week we move on to the 1990s. We've made it, everyone. We've made it to the 90s, and this is where we're going to start getting to some of that hashtag a good stuff. Next week we have Firebirds, the 1990 action film. So looking forward to that. We'll see you there. We'll see you then. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. Oh, and this film gets a bronze cage. Bye.